Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Rev with Rachel, where we recreate, enlighten, and vibrate in our radiance. I am Reverend Dr. Rachel Whetstone, but please just call me Rachel. This podcast is the place to really learn about feeling our emotions, mastering the mind, being aware of our energy, and tuning into our own intuition for the purpose of living in bliss, freedom, health, peace, and what I call our godly potential. I would love to stay connected with you. If you want Rev with Rachel updates and info about living a Rev life, please go to revwithrachel.com, enter your name and email address, and I'll add you to that list. You can also like Rev Life on Facebook. Today's episode is Growing Through Uncertainty with one of my favorite people, Dr. Moira Petit. She was my grad school advisor for my second half of my PhD program for about two and a half years. Welcome, Moira. Thanks, Rachel. Great to be here. Yes, it's awesome to connect with you. And I know we've both been through a lot of growth promoting experiences in our lives. And so I'm excited for you to talk about growing through uncertainty and what that is and how do we do it. Great. Well, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And, and yeah, it's, uh, we're both definitely in a different place than when we first met. And oh, yeah. We're, we're both in academia, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of personal learning along the way, I think so. Yeah. And, and interestingly, also, we've kind of both transitioned away from that. We've grown, I think, in beyond, um, beyond it in different ways, like our lives can transform and change and um, we can step into new things. Yeah, absolutely. Even those uncertain things. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes it happens intentionally and sometimes life kind of throws things at you that um, force you to into that growth or at least that opportunity is there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And in some of the the struggle or, you know, uncertainty often doesn't feel good, but um we can learn to embrace that and step through it instead of letting it kind of drag us down or trigger us or get, you know, it doesn't have to be dramatic and, and things I think as we, as life goes on, but it's a growing and learning process. Like I know you'll be talking about today. Why don't you start by telling about your story? I know you have um, a very deep um, experience that transformed you around the birth of your son And I would love for you to share, you know, what that was and then, you know, how the uncertainty was an opportunity for you to grow and learn. Yeah, thanks. So my, this story of um, kind of my big transformation, I don't know if it's transformation story, but the story that really pushed me to have the opportunity to learn was, um, it's. 12 years ago. So December, I'm really bad with dates. I always joke with my husband, Eric, um, that, you know, I never remember our anniversary and barely even (laughs) remember my own birthday. But, (laughs) but I I remember this date, it was December 26th, Mm -hmm. 2007. And we were going in, um, I was halfway through my 20 weeks pregnant um, with our first child. And uh, we're going in for a midterm ultrasound. And everything had gone great up until that point, and I just started feeling the baby move. And we walked in, 
thinking the biggest decision we'd have to make is if we wanted to know the sex of our baby and we walked out with a recommendation to terminate the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So my, our son had been diagnosed with a um, severe birth defect and was given less than 25% chance of surviving. Um, if he did survive, we were told his life would be short and filled with many complications. So, um, you know, <laughs> we, we left there with, you know, really not knowing what to do. We, we would have to make the decision in a really short period of time um, because I was actually already over, slightly over 20 weeks pregnant um, and with, with limited information mm-hmm. uh, in our hands. So for, for me, <laughs> the journey from there on kind of really became about figuring out how to let go. And for my husband, Eric, it really was about um, fighting for what's possible. And um, we recently wrote and published a book about that experience that um, took us 12 years to write, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, partially because we, you know, we really needed to get through the experience and navigate it. But, um, but there, was a, there was a lot of uncertainty, not just in making that decision that initial decision, but really about um, what came after that. And our story really isn't about that initial decision. We chose to stay in the journey with our son um, and and find our way through Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever that meant, just be with him in it. But the story is really about what we learned along the way about ourselves and about each other um, and, and, how we could support our son, ourselves and our son to survive and, and, and then thrive. So he, he did end of the story. <laughs> he did survive and he's a thriving 12 year old, you know, healthy boy today. But, um, but there's a lot that happened during that process. Mm-hmm. Tell a little more about, you know, what was his diagnosis? Cause I know the listeners are, would be curious to know and um, how, how things were in his organs when, you know, part of his diaphragm wasn't there. Yeah, so he has, he was diagnosed with um, congenital diaphragmatic hernia, so CDH, and that's a condition we'd never heard of. Um, and it's, uh, you know, they don't know what causes it or why it happens, but um, it, it basically the left side of, and there's various degrees of it. He had a severe form, so none of his left diaphragm formed in utero which meant that his intestines um, and stomach, and in his case, part of his liver were pushed up into his chest cavity, um, which pushed his heart over. And the big challenge is it it didn't leave room for his lungs to form. So the lungs kind of formed later on in utero, but there was no room. So he was basically born um, with like a pinky nail size of a lung on the left side and left side of his body and just a really small mm-hmm. sliver of lung on the right side. So he, he wouldn't be able to breathe on his own. You know, at the least we knew that when he came out, he wouldn't be able to breathe on his own. And so he was, you know, immediately intubated and taken into the hospital or, or taken into the NICU um, and put on ECMO and, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. So that process, you know, after the diagnosis, I mean, you'll understand this. So the letting go piece for me 
just one example of that. At the time, I was I was still a faculty member at the U, um, working with you and a number of other amazing graduate students. And so, you know, my thinking was that there there had to be something in the academic literature that would tell me how to improve my son's chances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, some exercise I could do or not do, some pill I could take, some specialist we could see yeah. or not see, right? And I wanted to intellectualize it and and have some action I could take to make Mm -hmm. things more likely or more positive for our son. And um, as you know, (laughs) academic literature isn't always that black and white and particularly in, um, you know, cases where they know very little about the condition. And and so what I was reading instead in the literature was not something that I could do anything about, but was more confirmation that, um, things were going to be messy and complicated, you know, and her son definitely had a severe form. It said things like he'd likely to have long-term neurological defects. He would probably have severe gastrointestinal issues and maybe be on a feeding tube for the rest of his life. He, you know, this is if he survived. (laughs) So in order for me to be in the next, just even the next 20 weeks of the pregnancy to be present for that and not, um, not let fear. So, you know, the title of her book is our fear never sleeps. And that's Mm -hmm. because it was really clear very quickly to both Eric and I that our fears would get in the way and drive our behavior if we let them. Mm -hmm. And um, there were many, many things to fear (laughs) um, at the time, you know, about what our, our, whether, what our future and our son's future would be like. So I really had to find a way to let go of, um, of any thought of what the future might be like and of all those fears and and of a need to intellectualize and want to take action and do something (laughs) to make it better you know um I know you do a lot of um meditation and mindfulness work and we sort of you know, support a lot of centering, centering, same kind of idea, the idea of being really present, you know, we do that in our work right now as well. But I hadn't really fully experienced what it meant to be fully present until I was able to um, just let go and be in the pregnancy and the journey with my son. Mm -hmm. Um, Each moment, because, because who knew what tomorrow was going to bring. So it was a really kind of powerful centering experience for me that, um, you know, I now have to be much more intentional about (laughs) putting those practices in place. But at the time I was really almost um, forced into it. um, Yeah. And as a way way of surviving. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so easy to get very stressed feeling when things are uncertain, but it sounds like you were able to choose a different way to be. Yeah. Yeah. With it, choose, um, And with intention, like I definitely would get knocked off a lot, (laughs) you know, and and my husband and I had many um, heated, heated moments during that. But yeah, the, you know, kind of continuing to choose to come back to being present was Mm -hmm. was really powerful um, for me during that time. Was there a moment, you know, because the choice to continue when things looked so maybe not good, you know, given a 25% chance of survival, how did you guys choose to continue with the pregnancy? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, my, you know, memory of it is almost that, you know, going into this, I, you know, was very, um, very much believed that women should have the choice um, to 
continue a pregnancy or not, depending on their circumstances. But I was, um, this was, my baby had already started kicking and, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was already fully a part of me. Um, and we were, we were not young. We had family and resources. We both had good jobs. You know, there wasn't some of these other external circumstances that, um, you know, I could see making a very different choice in a different circumstance, but mm-hmm. I, it, it really, um, and again, for me at the time, this is, <laughs> this is saying a lot, but it was really just an intuitive, like an almost, I thought it would be an intentional choice. I thought I would read through all the academic data and get a clearer picture of my son's chances of survival and what we could do. And, um, but that didn't happen. <laughs> it just was, mm-hmm. you know, the data were worse and worse. So it was really just a feeling like it was almost to me, like, you know, I feel this kid kicking. He's already a part of me. He's already alive in me. Yeah. I can feel that. And it just wasn't a choice I could make. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and fortunately, Eric was, um, you know, didn't, was fully on board. And I, I don't know that we ever had a, not that, you know, we talked about it, but we didn't have a, um, any, any disagreement about it. I just said, you know, I can't, I don't think, I, I mean, I know I can't, um, I, this kid's a part of us now. So, mm-hmm. and, and he was like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, you know, it would have been much more difficult if we had um, not agreed on that. Yeah. Well, and then to trust that intuitive feeling you had when it, when things are so uncertain to be able to trust that. Yeah. And then, and then find a way through it. And Eric was really, um, hopeful. I mean, bringing his perspective in. So he was really amazing at sort of focusing on what was possible. So I really needed to let go and just be in the moment and not think about what was possible. But Eric, on the other hand, was like, you know, wanted to fight. He was more like, we're going to fight. We're going to make sure this, you know, this works out. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, we're going to find the best hospital. Or we're going to, you know, do out. So for him, the story was, was he was having a different experience. And um, fortunately, kind of the combination of those two things really helped us navigate. Mm-hmm. And he, he comes from an arena of human potential and and things kind of as you guys were going through this, right? Yeah, so he had just started um, entering into the work that we're doing now, which is around, um, you know, kind of human potential and, and collectively aligning to create what you want. So, um, you know, team and leadership kind of work and mm-hmm. which we now do together, but um, a lot of, it, it, it's really one thing to sort of, um, facilitate experiences and, and share tools around that work. And it's another thing to really live through it. But mm-hmm. um, some of what writing the book did for us was really help us understand how those tools um, applied in our own life and, and bring that together. So, mm-hmm. um, and, it, and, you know, I know you, you'd asked me earlier before we started the recording, I think, um, a lot of the stuff we talk about and that, you know, I was looking through some of your previous podcasts that you bring up over and over again, things about awareness and finding joy and, um, you know, all the inner work that we're all trying to do. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that hits me a lot um, is that these are things that keep coming up for me and lessons I have to keep learning and coming back to. So, um, you know, as you know, for example, my, my dad, um, who has been a huge part of her life um, 
just passed away from, from he got um, coronavirus and passed away from complications from COVID sort of um, in early April. He was one of the early cases in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I, I found myself needing to use a lot of these same things again <laughs> and sort of help me through the experience with Kieran, like, um, you know, really letting go is really difficult to not be in the hospital with him, for example, mm-hmm. um, as he passed. And I always envisioned that I would be there sort of holding his hand at least at, at, at the least when he passed and that right. happened. So finding a way to accept and let go of that and then um, be grateful, finding well, one, allowing myself to experience all of the emotions, but then at the same time, focusing on what I was grateful for, even in those difficult times. So for my dad, for example, he, um, you know, I was really grateful that he was taken care of early on in the pandemic in Minnesota because he had great care and he had two Mm -hmm. very kind nurses who were able to be with him as he passed. I was really grateful that he was, mentally um, aware and with it enough that we could have a really deep, long conversation before he passed and um, kind of finding ways to focus on, on that um, was really important. And it was also really important with Kieran. So I'll just tell one story um, about when Kieran came home. So when our son came home from the hospital, he was in the NICU for nine weeks and he came home, he was on a full-time feeding tube and full-time kind of tank of large tank of oxygen um, and he was we were weaning him off a number of narcotics um, morphine and some other narcotics that he, they'd have had to kind of put really high doses in him when he was in the NICU to navigate all the surgeries and different mm-hmm. things um, and so he would our days when he first came home you know we're so excited to have him home but our days would vacillate between um, sort of this intense screaming and then kind of puking up green bile that he would have. And it was just this sort of really intense time. Um, and yet at the same time, we were so thrilled he was there, but sometimes it was just so exhausting and, oh, and horrible. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to be really happy, but this sucks and I'm exhausted yeah. and I can't handle it. It's exhausting um, when there's not green bile. Right? <laughs> yeah. I know, on top of that. Aww. And leaky feeding tubes, but every, you know, even on the worst of days, there would be at least one moment where Kieran would um, have this big smile on his face, you know, just sometimes it was just really brief, (laughs) Um, but I would take that to mean he was experiencing joy. And I felt a ton of joy in that moment too, that in a way I'd never experienced before. And, And that was sort of the thing I would hold on to and, and, and cling to, like, you know, that's what I wanted to create more of for him uh, mm-hmm. and, and for me. And so I think during, during this time for all of us, it's, you know, it's, it's not ignoring the tragic tragedy <laughs> and the, the really intense challenges um, for many of us that are happening right now, but, but how can we find something ordinary to hold on to each day and and as a way of looking you know looking for more of those those brief moments of joy that I I think are around um, Mm -hmm. even when things are difficult so and kind of being intentional about choosing to focus on those not ignoring the hard stuff acknowledging those and feeling all of those feelings but choosing to focus on the the something whatever that is (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
I mean, when I was younger, I didn't really get that that was a choice. I don't know. I just, I, I don't know if it comes with older age or, or whatever, but to be, or, or it wasn't part of the, our conversation. It wasn't a part of um, the society constructs maybe 20, 30 some years ago to have, to have these kind of conversations where it's like, Oh, we can. And when the more we do our brain changes and that's beneficial and we can like practice feeling joyful and more, and then we feel more of it because then our our brains are wired to be able to do that. (laughs) You know? Um, Yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, I, I I don't think I could have, um, if I did experience joy, I'm not sure I could have named it before mm-hmm. this with Karen. And it was so interesting to me to find it in something so ordinary <laughs> and within yeah. something extreme. I mean, there's, I think I have this quote in the book, Brene Brown quote. Um, there, uh, oh, let me see if I can remember it. Um, oh, joy comes to us in moments, ordinary ones, and we're likely to miss out on it when we're busy chasing the extraordinary. Mm, right. <laughs> I think that's so powerful for women, right? Like, I mean, you and I have talked about this, this, the, we're so trained, many of us are so trained to achieve and produce and do something extraordinary. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I was missing out on until I was, you know, somewhat for somewhat chose, you know, I chose to step back and create the space for, for these ordinary experiences to be so powerful. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Oh, I love that. I mean, one of the things, um, I mean, it makes me tear up when you talk about Karen and things because I guess what I appreciated in you writing your story was to be able to, you know, hear what you had gone through. I mean, I had graduated and I think I was living in Philly during that time. I remember you talking on the phone. We talked on the phone, I think, after you had found out the chances that, you know, of him surviving were low and that you were choosing to go on. And, um, but I wasn't there for what had all transpired for you, but to, you know, to read and hear your experience, I just, I was like tearing up through the whole first half of your book, (laughs) you know, hearing how you didn't get to hold him. He was whisked away to another part of the hospital. I mean, to know, I guess, I think so often we don't know what people are going through and when people are willing to share and put it all out there, I just, I have an appreciation for that. But um, so thank you for sharing that in your book. Um, Anything else about growing through uncertainty that you want to speak to? No, I think I'll just make one more comment based on um, what you just said. And, and thank you for that. I, you know, again, for me, like being willing to share <laughs> what I'm actually going through was really difficult. So mm-hmm. at, at, again, I was pretty heady and intellectual <laughs> and not very, you know, I think, I think most people at my, um, when I was working, I was at the U when Kieran was born and I was still, still there for his first couple of years. I don't, most people didn't even know what was going on. Like that's how I kind of really separated things. And I I think a lot of, and and Eric's the one that really 
wanted to tell the story and write the book. And I'm like, are you nuts? Why would we do that? Who wants to hear our story? Why would we share? You know, I didn't even want a carrying bridge site, you know, that's how, (laughs) how closed off I was. And so the, the process of being um, willing to share, not just willing, but, you know, accepting people hearing the story has been really powerful for me and, and recognizing how many people don't do that in their work lives. Like every time we share the story in a work setting, which was another big hurdle to get through because people don't share this personal stuff. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing this in context of leadership meetings and other things and how it relates to, to life. But every time we've done it, Um, I've had multiple people come up after and say, you know, I've had some kind of similar experience or I have this, you know, someone I'm caring for at home who has a really difficult life that I deal with every day. And I've worked Mm -hmm. at this place for 20 some years and no one at my workplace knows about it. Mm -hmm. And I finally feel like I have permission to share. And, and that stuff, you know, as you know, our lives are not separate <laughs> not right. as much as we try to keep them separate. And I did for a long time. They're just not. And I, I guess I would just say, um, you know, Brene, again, Brene Brown <laughs> yeah. talks about this a lot, but we, until we're willing to be vulnerable and share um, and be really open and honest about what we're dealing with, it's going to, you know, that idea, that ability to be vulnerable just opens up so many possibilities for people to connect and, um, and learn and grow about themselves and about others. And so, um, mm-hmm. well, and I, I just love how much, you know, the awarenesses that you've had through your experiences have, um, influenced who you are now and what you're, what you're speaking to and what you're sharing. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, so if the listeners want to learn more or get your book or connect with you, how would you like for them to do that? Yeah, so they can either um, check out our website. Um, I think you'll, will you put a link um, somewhere or should I? I can. Um, it will be linked, yes, in the show notes. Okay, yeah, you can still uh, spell it here. Like, sure. My letter. So, yeah, so our website is activate, A C T I V as in Victor, the number eight dash the letter U dot com. Um, and then my uh, phone number is 612-226-7882. And they can either call or text if they have a question. And my email is Moira, M O I R A, at A-C-T-I-V-8-U.com. So awesome. And then how would they get their book if they're interested in that? Um, Yeah, so it is, there's a link on our website. It's also on Amazon and um, Barnes and Noble. It's called Our Fear Never Sleeps. Let go to fight for what's possible. Awesome. Thank you so much, Moira. I appreciate that you did this with me today. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. It was fun. I know we didn't know going in if we'd be laughing or. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we, we, yeah. Yeah. Because so, we just kind of laugh at the end of every sentence when we talk. <laughs> I know. But, yeah, you'll have to teach me about uh, vibration because I don't know, maybe that's something about our co- collective vibration or something. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a willingness to, to be light and. Yeah the lightness and things also yeah Um, yeah I appreciate that so thanks again
Hey, Rev with Rachel listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. It's a pleasure to share these important life transforming and healing topics with you. As always, remember to rev, recreate, enlighten, and vibrate. Thank you for listening. Until we meet again, be love. EWN Podcast Network.